Well, good morning. Welcome. I'm Pastor Allen. Hopefully, I think I've greeted most of you as you came in. We started a new series we'd like to teach on a certain topic for several weeks in a row. Uh, last week, and it's titled, Without a Doubt. Today's topic is, I, I Doubt God's Goodness in Times of Trouble. I didn't try this in the first service, but I'd like to try it here. Uh, how would you end that statement? Without a doubt, what? What would you say? In your life, for you personally, without a doubt, what? I gave you some last week, if you were here, some of mine. Like the sun will set this evening and the sun will come up tomorrow morning. Without a doubt, what? You love ice cream. Okay. Any specific kind? Okay. All right, someone else. I also told you, without a doubt, I know my wife loves me. Guys, there's your chance. <laughs> All right. We're someplace better, right? <laughs> Come on. Without a doubt. What do you not have doubts about? Oh, okay. <laughs> One of our Ravens fans. All right, but it's getting that time of year, right? And everybody are going to wear their different jerseys, teams they support. I don't do that much in baseball and basketball season, mostly football. <clears throat> Come on, a couple more. You have no doubts about what? And breakfast and dinner. <laughs> Isn't it funny? You get so full and a couple hours later you want to eat again. Yeah, that's kind of cool. God made us that way. We get to eat three or four times a day then, don't we? Some of you don't know me. I eat a lot, believe it or not. I, I do eat a lot. Love to eat. All right, someone else. I love my son. You love your son. All the parents. We love our kids, right? Uh, might drive us crazy sometimes, we, but there are not any doubts about that. What about God, though? That's the question. Can we answer that without a doubt? I trust God? Yeah. So doubt is real, isn't it? <clears throat> um, last week, quickly we'll review a little bit from last week. We used a kind of a theme verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. So we'll go over that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That means don't doubt. <laughs> and it means it has to be all or you're going to doubt. So trust with all your heart so you won't doubt. Lean not on your own understanding. Now, <clears throat> have you ever made a decision and as soon as you made the decision, you doubted if you made the right decision? <laughs> Anybody else do that besides me? Oh, yeah, I, I, didn't, I do that. Um, so I can't lean on my own understanding. I've got to lean on God's understanding. And all your ways, submit to him or follow him or believe him, and he'll make your path straight. He'll make things work out. And that's something we're going to talk about in a few minutes. So we summarize it this way. Trust begins when we make God a priority or our first priority, not just a passing thought. But doubt is real. We all have doubts about lots of different things and some doubts about God sometimes. Why does God allow doubt? Does doubt intimidate God? Does is, is, is God mad at us for doubting? Is it scare God when we uh, doubt? Uh, I don't believe so. And I wanted to start off with one of the most powerful promises in the Bible, and there's tons of promises in the Bible. 
Um, and it comes from John. Jesus is speaking to his disciples the last time. This is on the night he was betrayed and he was arrested and the next day he was crucified. So uh, he, he, he's talking about different things with his disciples and uh, he's going on and on about different things. Chapter 14, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you and so forth. Really some, some great stuff in there. And at the end of chapter 16, this is what he's saying. Now, again, this is the last time he gets to talk to them and he's headed off to be arrested and crucified. He says... I've told you all of this, and you can read it for yourself uh, later, so that you may have peace in me. Now, is it going to be very peaceful coming in the next hour, couple hours? It's not going to be very peaceful. He's going to be arrested. Disciples are going to be scared. He's going to be tortured. He's going to be crucified. Uh, it's not going to be very peaceful. So he's, I, I tell you, have peace in me. He says, here on earth you'll have many... Many, many trials and sorrows, struggles, difficulties, problems, all right? So the Bible is not about having a smile on your face all the time. The Bible is real. It talks about real life and real people and, and real, real things that happen. So he says, you're going to have many of these. Life is tough. Life isn't easy. But take heart. Don't be discouraged. Because I've overcome, or I've triumphed over the world. I've triumphed over your trials, sorrows, problems, and difficulties. And I don't know what yours are today, but <laughs> we're all real people, so we all have them, right? Difficulties and problems. So out of that verse, I want to share with you basically two promises that maybe you'll be able to remember. The first promise is this. It happens. Those trials, tribulations, problems, difficulties happen, right? Happen to all of us. They happen all the time. You might have got up this morning and stubbed your toe getting out of bed. You might, guys, you might have cut yourself shaving. Uh, you might have burnt the toast for breakfast. Uh, your car might not have started. Or you might have had a flat tire. Or hopefully you didn't get a speeding ticket coming to church. <laughs> all right. It happens. Kids get sick. Uh, things break. Um, I got to thinking about some of the toughest it's in my life. When I was 18, in the middle of my first year of college, my father died. 45 years of oh, age. We found him laying on the basement, uh, kitchen, kitchen floor, which is in the basement of our house then. I'm um, the oldest of five children. Uh, my youngest sister was four. So my mom had to raise uh, these kids. Um, <clears throat> when I was 23, I had my first church job. And it was an associate position, summer associate position, just during the summer in Alexandria, Virginia. And on the 4th of July, I came to visit May and Fred, my sister and her husband, in Myersville. It's like the first time I'd ever been here. And uh, played softball that afternoon. I dislocated my elbow. Worst thing I've ever physically that I've ever experienced. It ached for a solid week. Um, moving fast forward, and my daughter's here, and she knows I'm going to share about this. Thirteen years ago, the day after Easter, go pick up our daughter. She said her truck broke down, and she informed us she was pregnant. Just turned 17. And uh, so a couple days later, we're going to work through all this, and then she runs off and gets married. Um, it happens. About a week later, my wife is driving our van, 
and uh, hits something on the interstate. It, it knocks off the oil filter. I don't know, but... And the oil light comes on, and, of course, by that time, she's blown up the engine. A week later, we get that phone call. You ever get that phone call uh, from a state trooper? And uh, in this case, it wasn't the worst kind, but your son has been in an accident. Jared was 15. He was riding his bike and got hit by a pickup truck and broke. Which leg, Jared? Where are you? Is he in here? Right leg? Left leg. I got the left right leg. So this is about a two-week time period. Just it happens. All right. I don't know what your it is this morning, but you have your it's. And it is real, life is real, but we serve a, a real Jesus. And he has an answer to that, a promise for that. And that's one of the second part of the promise that I want to share with you this morning is this. If it is not good, and like all the things I shared with you weren't good, it is not over. Now, when you're in the midst of the it, it's not easy to believe, is it? You know, when your father dies, in my case, or you have some medical issue, or something happens to your kids, it's really hard to believe it's not over. And we have this kind of misbelief that we're kind of in control of stuff. Especially as parents, we think we control our kids. Uh, but control is a myth, isn't it? There's very little in life that any of us controls. You can't control your health. You can't control your kids. You can't control your spouse. You can't control your work environment. You can't control much of anything. But we know the one, if you're Jesus follower, and if you're not, we're so happy you're here and checking this out this morning. But if you're Jesus follower, you know the one who is in control. So here's the promise. If it is not good... It is not over. And you say, Pastor, that's kind of cute. That sounds kind of nice. Uh, where did you get that? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> all right. It's all through the Bible. We can find examples of this. Well, we can just pick, pick three. Pretty familiar. If you're a church person, you'll probably recognize these verses. First one's out of Romans. Paul wrote this. Romans 8, 28. In fact, if you're a church person, when you're going in the midst of it, this is a verse that probably pops in your head. Maybe first. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good. Now, first is God's working. God's getting his hands dirty with whatever, whatever it you're experiencing, whatever situation you're in. And he's going to somehow orchestrate it so it's going to turn out good. Um, now, everything isn't good. In fact, most of our it's aren't good. But God says, I can make good out of this. Now, notice, this promise isn't for everybody. If you're not a Jesus follower, again, we're glad you're here, but this promise isn't for you. But if you're a Jesus follower, if you love God, are called according to his purpose, you're trying to live uh, the way God would lead you to live, uh, his purpose for your life. Now, the problem is, this is a long-range promise often, isn't it? The it drags out for a while. The grieving process drags out for a while. But this is the long-range promise. Now, it isn't a promise to be happy all the time, is it? God is say, hey, my goal is to make you happy. But it is to work your it out for something good. Often we try and put our security in our own abilities. 
And our security needs to be in the one that is in control. So if it's not good, it is not over. Paul said that. Jeremiah said that. Jeremiah 29, 11. Actually, he was quoting God. He said, for I know, God said, I, have, I know the plans I have for you. So I've got a plan. Life's just not random. Life's not just an accident. God's got a plan for your life. And he says, they are plans for good. So you're in the midst of some bad it. God's got a plan for good. And it's not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. So whatever it is, there is a future. And there is hope. It's not hopeless. I see so much hopelessness in the world today. And of course, outside of uh, Jesus, you know, I, I can understand why there would be, people would be hopeless. So if it's not good, it's, it's just not over. And then something else Paul wrote to a church in Philippi. He says, I am certain, or I know, or I'm confident, I have no doubt, that God who began the good work, so God's work is good, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Now, don't need to raise your hand. How many of you have started a project and not finished it? Yeah, exactly, right? I have a whole bunch of them, <laughs> and you probably do too. Well, the cool thing is, the great thing is, God never starts a project and doesn't finish it. There's no unfinished projects with God. And the problem is sometimes in our spiritual life and our trying to follow Jesus, we, we hit these dry spots or these spots where we don't seem to be making progress. We need to remember, even in that, that time, God is working. God is at work. <clears throat> so if it's not good, it's not over. Now, when we talk, we use the Bible, when we talk about these things, the important part is application. We don't just talk about them. We don't just hear them. So what is the application of this? If it's not good, it is not over. What are some areas in your life where you need to apply this promise? Well, what about relationships? Talked about being single last week. Some of you are single. <clears throat> I went to the University of Maryland a long time ago. It was probably 20,000 single women on campus when I was there. <laughs> Didn't find my wife. Uh, I think that you might be able to find one out of 20,000, wouldn't you? Then I went off to seminary, and there wasn't a lot of women there, but you'd think as being a, wanting to be a pastor, the women at seminary would be interested in marrying a pastor. Now, some of them kind of were interested, but it, nothing ever worked out. And so then I graduated from school, where you'd think you might, after seven years of school, you'd find your, your spouse, right? And uh, within weeks after finishing school, I showed up at this little country church uh, below Keatesville. I mean, the place, Eccles Mill. No, probably nobody here knows where it is or been there. But anyway, it was Eccles Mill Baptist Church. I walk in, there's about 30 people there, mostly all family, related to the pastor, and uh, met my wife. So if it's not good, it's not over. And if you're still single and the years are passing, if it's not good, it's not over. And many of us are married or been married. And marriage can be great and marriage can be, what's the word I want? Hell on earth. Let me be honest. I've been there and we've done that. And so maybe your marriage is one of those it's right now. Uh... 
Most of the time when you're talking, you're fighting. And you don't like each other anymore. And uh, you don't know if it's going to work out or how long you can hang in or if it's going to last. And God wants to say to you this morning, if it's not good, it's not over. And Deb and I can testify to that. Maybe some other relationship, a friendship. Uh, There's brokenness. There's unforgiveness. There's hurt. And God's promise is, if it's not good, it's not over. Maybe it's something health-related. Uh, you went to the doctor, you got some tests, and the, it's, it's not good. And the doctor's saying to you, hey, you need to change your lifestyle. But I like my lifestyle. I enjoy being a couch potato. Well, that's, that's over for you. And, you know, you got to start eating fruits and vegetables and exercising. You're changing your lifestyle. Or maybe something more serious. Uh, maybe it's diabetes or some other disease. Or maybe it's a, a big C word. And, and uh, you're dealing with... With, with all that. Uh, and sometimes the health issues is harder when it's a loved one, isn't it? We had our happy pappy camp this week and little Kirsten, our youngest, was there and she got this fever. And evidently she gets it pretty often, pretty common. But when you, you touch a little, well, she's almost four, before next week, I think, uh, you touch their body and it's just burning, it's so hot, it's just, it, it's just hard. It's an it when, when your children or someone you love is having health issues, either short-term or, or long-term. And God says, if it's, if it's not good, it's not over. And then speaking of children, children are always an issue with our parents, right? And when they're kind of small, it's basically those little illnesses and broken bones that are, are the biggest issues. But then they get to kind of about middle school and they start changing and the relationship with them starts changing, doesn't it? And they start getting a little more distant and getting some friends maybe we don't approve of. And then you get to high school and uh, maybe some other friends we don't approve of and maybe dating somebody we don't approve of. And they get their driver's license and even less, less we know what they're, what they're doing and what they're uh, about. And then they go off to college or get a job and we, they're completely out of our control. And maybe they're making some decisions we're not happy with. And maybe they're getting married to someone we don't approve of or... Or uh, even worse, maybe they become a prodigal and they said, hey, you know, you brought me up in church, but that's your God and I'm not interested in him anymore and so I'm going to do my own thing, go my own way. And it breaks your heart. That might be your it this morning. And then I put the category of tragedy and one reason I put this on here was because, uh, for some of you, most of you know, uh, this Thursday was two years... <sighs> Since we lost our daughter-in-law after a year and a half battle of cancer, uh, it was a tough week. I thought it was supposed to get easier after time. I think this year, this <laughs> two years was harder than one year for me for some reason. I don't know. But then we had a tragedy in our church this this week. Uh, the Queens lost their grandson Thursday. They got that. Actually, they got home and the policeman was there. Police, uh, Charlie's Charlie's cousin, twenty some years old, uh, life over. Uh, tragedy. Some aren't as severe. You might have lost your job or financial tragedies or some other. But if it's not good, it's not over. 
And then there's the self. Those internal issues we have, maybe some kind of addiction or struggle we can't get get over a bad habit. Maybe something more like insecurity or low self-esteem or you just don't feel loved uh, by God or maybe by anybody. And again, the promise is if it's not good, if you don't feel good about yourself, hang in there, it's not over. Well, I always like to come up with a Bible story, a Bible illustration, and there's lots of them we can use, but thinking about my daughter-in-law and now I didn't know about uh, this other young man that died, but um, I thought I'd use a story I used a few weeks ago, and again, as if you're a church person, it's pretty familiar, but try and just kind of hang in there with the story as it unfolds, not knowing how it ends, and try and experience the, uh, uh, the real emotions to real life tragedy and grief and and suffering. Uh, so this really demonstrates some real it's. Let's in John chapter 11, beginning of verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick, and as we know, this was a really, he was really sick. He was deathly sick. He was, as we note, as we're going to find out, he was terminally sick. And he lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. So he had this family unit, and they loved each other, and they cared about each other, and, and you know, the one sibling's really sick. And some of you may have experienced that. Uh, obviously, I've experienced with my parents uh, and with Aaron. Um, so that's the situation. Uh, somebody that these folks cared about, a brother, was, was, was really sick. And then the Bible describes this is, this is the Mary that later on pours expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wipes them with her hair and and uh, as you understand what happens in this story, you can appreciate maybe a little bit more why she would do that uh, because of how much God had done for her, Jesus had done. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick. So these were folks that knew Jesus, and Jesus knew them. They were on a first-name basis with Jesus. And it got me to thinking, are you on a first-name basis with Jesus? I hope you are. I mean, can you say, hey, God, this is, in my case, this is Alan checking in. I just want to talk a little bit. Um, You can. You should be. Uh, God wants to have that kind of relationship with us all. So the story goes on. The two sisters send a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is sick, or the one you love is sick. Uh, Didn't even use his name. (laughs) Lazarus. Lazarus. He's really sick. And we've all prayed this prayer. Starting three and a half years ago, we prayed this prayer over and over and over. Many of you did, right? Prayed this prayer. And uh, God didn't seem to answer in their case, and God didn't seem to answer in our case. But when Jesus heard about it, in this case, this illness, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death, he said. No, it happened for the glory of God so the Son of God will receive glory through it. Now, this is, this is the big lesson here, all right? <laughs> Your it, my it, all our it's aren't about us. They're not supposed to be about us. They're about something greater. It's not about our illnesses and our sicknesses and our problems. All our it's, if you're a Jesus follower, are for the glory of God. So this is a step back, is a setup for Jesus to show up and show off. 
Let me say that again. This set, step back, your it's, my it's, we're set up for Jesus to show up and show off. Was God surprised by Lazarus' illness? God surprised by your it's and my it's? No, God's not surprised. In fact, he's part of his plan. It's a good plan. So the, the story goes on. So although Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Now this is what's so hard to understand. And if you get one of those 911 calls, what do you do? You go, right? <laughs> you go. When some loved one needs you or we think they need us, we go. You get there as quickly as possible. Jesus didn't do that. And so we question if he loved, right? If he loved them, he would have went. So anytime you and I doubt God's love, all you have to do is think about the cross. He didn't have to die. (laughs) As the song goes, he could call 10,000 angels down and wipe out the Romans. He didn't have to die. The only reason he died is because he loved you and me. So we don't ever have to doubt God's love. So even if he doesn't show up, we know he still loves us. Well, let me ask you, can God love you from a distance? And maybe God feels distant to you this morning. Uh, He still loves you. But there's something greater (laughs) than Lazarus healing. It's God's glory. And so they have their funeral. Lazarus dies. They have their funeral and they're awake and it's like probably pretty much like when we have one. People, loved ones and family gather and there's lots of food, casseroles. I don't know if Jewish people eat casseroles, but you know. And you sit around and you talk and you share stories and you, you celebrate the person's life and you cry and you hug. And, and uh, four days later, Jesus shows up and in their culture, this would have continued that long. In our culture, after one day, it's usually over. So they're still having this, this wake, this funeral, and Jesus shows up. And uh, he tries to say, hey, Lazarus uh, will be resurrected, and they misunderstood, and they, yeah, yeah, when, you know, in the day of resurrection, we'll all be raised. And, and so Jesus says, hey, let's, let's go out to the tomb. And I don't know if they visited the tomb in their culture after somebody died, but uh, they get out to the tomb and stuff really strange start to happen. Jesus says, hey, uh, remove the stone. And everybody there is saying, no, 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 we don't want to do that. Bad idea, Jesus, bad idea. Uh, he's been dead four days, Jesus, you know what that means? Not going to smell very good. He says, hey, move the stone. And they move the stone and he says, uh, Lazarus? Yeah, come out. And Lazarus comes out. Now, I want you to think, if you were there, what would your response have been? Would your eyes gotten big and your mouth dropped open? Would you fall on your face? Would you have clapped? Would you shout it? What would you have done? Let me show you a, a, a dramatization, I think, that really uh, shows some of these emotions. Jesus! 
If you had been here, Lazarus would not have died. Where have you laid him? Lazarus has died. So you may believe. You, take the stone away. Jesus, it has been four days. Take the stone away. Lazarus, come out! Look, so with his shirt. Trust Jesus, Mother. Someone should stop this. It's a cruel joke. saw there at the end between Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. You might summarize it this way. When you can't see the hands of God, you must trust the heart of God. I don't know what your it is. The relational it's are the toughest ones. Could be health, finance, personal, whatever. Important to remember that it's not about us. It's about God's glory. And if you're a Jesus follower, God's glory brings us joy, unspeakable joy. And that's God's intent. That's God's end. So the promise is, if it's not good, you all say it. It is not over. 
Let's say it together, the whole thing. If it is not good, it is not over. Now, how is it love for Jesus? And we're about finished. Hang in there a couple more minutes. How is it love, Jesus, waiting two more days? Well, what is love? One definition I like is, is giving you what you need most. And what do, we, what do you and I need most if you're Jesus' follower? We need to experience God's glory, which brings us joy. So what should be our response when we're in the midst of our it and we're having trouble believing, we're having doubts? It's trusting, believing. Can't see his hands, trust his heart. If it's not good, it's not over. Let's pray. God, I pray for each person here this morning. Uh, we, most of us probably have its right now. If not, uh, we soon will. And they come so unexpectedly. They surprise us, but they don't surprise you. And God, we thank you for this powerful, powerful promise. If it's not good, it's just not over. And the long-range goal is for your glory and our joy. So, God, I pray for each person here <laughs> that they would claim that promise. They would cling to that promise. They would not give it up. And, God, it would be wonderful to hear testimonies of people down the road that share. We have a wonderful grandson from my daughter's pregnancy. We couldn't imagine life without him. And we all have those goods that come from the it's. And we want to pray for anyone here that's, that's searching, that is asking questions, wondering if this God thing is for them, that they would... Uh, Step across the line and say, yes, I, uh, I'm tired of living in fear and doubt and hopeless. I want to have hope. God loves you. He will accept you just as you are. And your life will never be the same. God, I thank you as believers, Jesus followers, we live with this, this hope that whatever, how, how terrible things look, the good can come. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.